We turn this morning to Revelation chapter 11. And our theme this morning is Mission Accomplished. Revelation chapter 11. I'm going to start reading at the third verse. And we read in Jesus' name. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire flows out of their mouth and devours their enemies. So if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. These have the power to shut up the sky so that rain will not fall during the days of their prophesying. They have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every plague as often as they desire. When they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which mystically is called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. Those from the peoples and tribes and tongues and nations will look at their dead bodies for three and a half days and will not permit their dead bodies to be laid in a tomb. And those who dwell in the earth will rejoice over them and celebrate. And they will send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. But after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God came into them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell upon those who were watching them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. Then they went up into heaven in the cloud, and their enemies watched them. And in that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed by the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Father, these are words that you have given to us. I pray, Lord, that you would teach us this morning, that you would guide us into your truth. Lord, we believe that your word is everlasting truth. These things we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Back in 1968, when some of you weren't even alive, but I know some of you were, there was a man from Tanzania who ran the marathon in the Olympics in Mexico City. His name was John Stephen Aquari. He was injured along the way and hobbled into the stadium with a leg bloodied and bandaged about an hour after the last runners had entered that stadium. And there were just a few people left to watch him cross the finish line. And when he was asked, why, why did you continue to run? I mean, you were injured. <laughs> you came in an hour after all the runners. And here's what he said. He said, my country did not send me to Mexico City to start the race. They sent me here to finish. Now, that's quite a statement, right? 
I wasn't sent here just to start this marathon. I was sent here to finish. And I believe that's the lesson that we see in this 11th chapter of Revelation. These two witnesses, these men were faithful. They proclaimed the Word of God until the very day they died. And they finished well. I don't know about you, but as I get older, and maybe people in my age bracket can kind of understand this, but as I get older... I think more about finishing the race. I know that my days are not likely as many as some of you young people here, although we never know. But my goal and my desire is is to finish well. It's one thing to start well, and there are many people who begin the the race, uh, the Christian life, uh, on fire for the Lord. But the question is, how, how will we finish? Will we be able to say when we stand before God, the mission was accomplished? God, what you called me to do, I have carried out by your faith, by your grace and strength. The phrase that strikes me in this chapter is the phrase that we see at the beginning of verse 7. It says, when they have finished their testimony. This tells us that these two witnesses in our text came to the end of the race. They had accomplished their mission, and their lives really illustrate to us that God will give us the time and the strength to finish the mission that He's called us to perform. So there's my theme. If you forget everything else, (laughs) remember this. God will give us the time and the strength to finish the mission that God has given to us. So, there are three things I want you to notice in this passage today. First of all, notice that our days are really numbered to finish our mission. From the day that we are born until the day we die, the Scripture says that our times are in God's hands. And Psalm 139 illustrates that so well when David describes the Lord's work in his life. He says, For you formed my inward parts... You wove me together in my mother's wombs. I'll give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, skillfully wrought to the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And then he makes this statement. And in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Now think of that. God has a book. And the days that are ordained for us were written in that book before we were born. So He knows, obviously, the exact day when our life will come to an end. I'm glad I don't know. When my life will come to an end. But God does. All those days that were ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So God is the one who has made us. He has recorded in his book the number of days that we will live. And that's why David said, my times are in your hands. A few weeks ago, Nate Krellin sang um, the song, How Great Thou Art. And we gathered over in the corner there after that service. And I told him, I said, Nate, 
Would you sing at my funeral when I die? Micah Johnson. I have to single him out right in front of the whole congregation. He says, put it on the calendar. <laughs> so, so I asked myself, does he know something I don't know? I don't know when that day is coming. I can't put it on the calendar because only God knows that day. So if our days are numbered, then we have a, a limited amount of time to accomplish the mission that God has given us. And that's what we see with these two witnesses, don't we? Verse 3, and I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. Now, if you're wondering how long 1260 days is, I figured it out. It's three and a half years, okay? Now, that doesn't seem like a very long time, does it? Three and a half years for their ministry that's described here. But it, it likely may have seemed like a long time to these two men because their mission is not an easy mission. They are called to proclaim the Word of God during a difficult time of persecution. And it will ultimately lead to their death. Verse 7 says, The beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. These two men illustrate the fact that some believers in Jesus will pay what we would call the ultimate price for proclaiming the Word of God. They will die as martyrs. And people are dying as martyrs all over the world today. We don't see it much in our country, but there are people all over the world that are faithfully proclaiming the Word of God and they are dying for their faith. And these two men, that's what they will experience but notice when, when these men will die. Verse 7, when they have finished their testimony. Did you catch that? In other words, these men will die only after their mission has been accomplished. Not a day before. God will protect them until their mission is accomplished. Now, I happen to believe that God will do the same for us. I believe that God is going to keep me alive until I've accomplished the mission that God has for me. And when the mission is done and the Lord says, come on home, I'll say, okay, <laughs> to see Jesus face to face as we sung today, what could be better than that? What could be better than that? I don't have the day written on the calendar, Micah, because I don't know when that day will come, but God does. And so when God calls one of His children home, we can rest assured that the mission is done, complete, finished. So our days, they're, they're, they're numbered. Now, I'm not saying that, say, you know, you've got a week left to live. <laughs> but our days are numbered because God has given us that amount of time that He has ordained. For us to finish our mission. Second thing we learn here. Our strength is sufficient to finish our mission. There are several images in this text that point us back to what God has already done to strengthen his people to fulfill their mission in the past. In verse 4, we see this reference to the two olive trees 
And the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. Now, the ones who are receiving the book of Revelation would understand, and I hope we do too, that this is a reference back to the book of Zechariah, chapter 4. It describes the ministry of Joshua the high priest and Zerubbabel the governor. How's that for a name, huh? Did you name your child Zerubbabel? And they led the people in rebuilding the temple after the captivity. And Zechariah tells us that these two men were anointed with the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6 described the ministry of these two men. And he said, not by might or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So these two men carried out their ministry by the power of God, by the power of his spirit. And they helped rebuild that temple that had been destroyed when the Babylonians came in. Verse 5, if anyone wants to harm them, fire flows out of their mouth and devours their enemies. So if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. This reminds us of Elijah, the prophet. There was an evil king by the name of Ahaziah who was trying to capture Elijah. And Elijah had told the king that he was going to die after the king had fallen through the lattice in his upper chamber. So Ahaziah didn't like Elijah. And that wasn't the only reason, also because Elijah was prophesying that the nation needed to turn back to God. And Ahaziah was an evil man. And so Ahaziah sent 50 men and a captain in order to capture Elijah. 2 Kings 1.10 says Elijah replied to the captain of 50, If I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed that leader and his 50 men. Well, Ahaziah wasn't done. Certainly he was going to get, get Elijah. So he sends another 50 men. The same thing happens again. What's the lesson? God had a mission for Elijah. And God was going to make sure that he lived as long as needed to be to fulfill that mission. And the power of God was there for Elijah. Verse 6 of our text says, These have the power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain during the days of their prophesying. How many days did they prophesy? Three and a half years. That reminds us of Elijah, doesn't it? He came to the evil king Ahab and he said, it's not going to rain on the land unless I say so. How long? Three and one half years. Now, can you imagine if our city here, our state, our country had three and one half years of zero rain? That'd be devastating. And that's what Elijah said. This drought in Elijah's day was a demonstration of God's power over the false gods that Ahab trusted. And it taught the people of Israel that it is foolish to abandon the true and living God for the false gods of this world. You see, Baal was the God that they worshipped, and Baal was supposed to be the God of the weather. <laughs> So if you want rain, who do you call it? Oh, Baal, oh, Baal, send rain. And what did God say? You are not in control of the weather. 
I am the one in control of the weather. I am the one who rules this world. And so the people of Israel were taught that you don't find help from the false gods of this world. And so these two witnesses will be like Elijah and they will also be like Moses because the last part of verse 6 says they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and then get this, to strike the earth with every plague as often as they desire. So Moses and Elijah were the two prophets of the Old Testament that performed more miracles than all of the other prophets combined. And so when the people read or heard this chapter about these two witnesses, they would say, aha, these guys have some power. These guys are just like Elijah. They're just like Moses. God will give them the power and the strength to fulfill the ministry that he's given to them. And I happen to believe the same is true for you and I. That's not to say that we're going to be breathing out fire from our mouths <laughs> or calling for droughts on the land or, or sending uh, pestilence or plagues. But it does tell us this, that whatever we need to fulfill the mission that God has given us, God will provide. So when you're asked to do something that you think, I could never do that. You know what God says? Don't look at yourself. Look at me. Don't say, I can't do that. I tried that for a while. When God was calling me into ministry, I had excuses. I said, I could never be like my dad. He was a pastor. I said, I, I can't speak in front of people. I, I just hope I can stand up there without passing out. I mean, I, I, speech class, that was the worst class ever. That was me. And I said, Lord, I can't do this. The Lord said, don't say you can't do this. Don't be like Jeremiah. Don't be like Moses. Don't be like those who are always giving excuses. It's not about you. God says it's about me. And so whatever God calls you to do, don't say, I can't do that. God will give you the power. He'll give you the strength. He'll give you the time to carry out that ministry. He'll give you the power to do it. And then the third thing we notice is that our purpose is essential if we're going to finish our mission. In the eyes of the world, these two witnesses are viewed with great contempt. They proclaim a message the world doesn't want to hear. They perform signs the world doesn't want to see. They are viewed as troublemakers. Troublemakers that need to be taken out of the way. These guys proclaiming this message and performing all these signs. And when they finally died, did you notice the response of the world? They are celebrating. They are happy. Verse 8, their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which mystically is called Sodom in Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. Those from the peoples and tribes and tongues and nations will look at their dead bodies for three and a half days 
And they will not permit their dead bodies to be laid in a tomb. They won't even allow them to be buried. And then verse 10 says, And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and celebrate. And they will send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Now, can you imagine that? These two guys, faithful to God, die, and the world celebrates by having the, what some have described the devil's Christmas, where you start sending gifts out in celebration that these two prophets of God are dead. Now let me ask you, can you envision how something like this could happen? Think of the direction of our culture today. Can you envision that faithful proclaimers of the Word of God, when they die, the world is going to say, good, got rid of them, troublemakers, trying to tell us how we ought to live our lives, telling us that God is going to bring judgment. Can you envision something like this happening? I can. I can. I think the closer that we get to the day that Jesus comes again, the more that we as believers in Jesus are going to be viewed as troublemakers. The world doesn't like what we stand for. The world despises the message that we proclaim. And if we could just be taken out of the way, the world would be such a better place. Now you think I'm I'm exaggerating on that? I don't know. I think that's the way our culture is headed. But we can't let the world silence us. We must continue to proclaim the gospel because our purpose is to be faithful unto death. That's the message Jesus gave to the church in Smyrna. Chapter verse 10 of Revelation. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give you The crown of life. So when we are faithful unto death, that's the result. Jesus said, you'll be given the crown of life. And that's what these two witnesses experienced. Verse 11 says, but after three and a half days, the breath of life from God came into them. They stood on their feet. What do you think would happen then? And great fear fell upon all those who were watching them. Verse 12 says, And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Come up here. They went up to heaven in the cloud, and their enemies watched them. Imagine that. Can you imagine what that would be like if that happened to you? If you know Jesus, this is what is going to happen to you. This will be the experience of every faithful believer when Jesus comes again, right? What does Paul say? The dead in Christ will rise first. And those of us who are alive and remain and have a living relationship with Jesus will be caught up, given a new body, brought into the very presence of Jesus. Wow, what a day that will be. And I find it interesting to notice at the end of this text 
that it says in verse 13, And in that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Now, if you've been with us as we've studied Revelation, that's kind of an unusual response because the common response to the judgments of God have been blaspheming God, refusing to repent. Chapter 9, verses 20 and 21, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. Chapter 16, verse 21, talks about hailstones that came down upon men, and men blasphemed God because of the hail, because the plague was severe. But here, we see them giving glory to the God of heaven. Now, I I did a little study on that because I thought, does this describe uh, people being saved? Does it describe people, you know, coming to faith in God? Or is it just... uh, you know, okay, God, you are who you are, but I don't, I'm still not going to trust you. And I found it interesting that that phrase, as it's used in the book of Revelation, seems to be a sign of repentance, a sign of salvation. Chapter 4, verse 9, the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him. Chapter 14, 6 and 7, I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth. He said, fear God. And give Him glory, because the hour has come. Seems like that's part of, you know, the response to the gospel is giving God glory. Chapter 16, verse 9. Men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has the power over these plagues. And they did not repent so as to give Him glory. Repentance means to give God glory based on that. Chapter 19, verse 7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to Him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. So, could we say then, as a result of what these faithful men did in proclaiming the Word of God, that there were some, some that responded to all this and gave God the glory? Seeing their faithfulness unto death, and then their their resurrection and, and brought back to glory. There's a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. Remember him? Otherwise known as the Apostle Paul. And I read from Acts 7 this morning where it described the death of Stephen being stoned, martyred for his faith. And there was a man who stood there that day and watched that. That was Saul of Tarsus. That was the Apostle Paul. And he heard Stephen say, Lord, Lay not this sin to their charge. Lord, forgive them. And he, he, he sees the, Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And Stephen dies and he's brought back into the presence of God. Now, you're not going to tell me that that didn't make an impact on Saul of Tarsus. I think that's one of the things that God used in his life to start to awaken this man to his need for a Savior. God honors those who are faithful to Him. And when someone is willing to die for their faith, it says to the world something powerful. It says to the world that knowing Jesus is more important than life itself.
Faithfulness to Jesus is more important than life itself. And when people see that, it makes an impact upon them. If you know Jesus, you've been given a mission to accomplish. It may not be easy. I'm not here to say, you, you know, you give your life to the Lord and everything's just going to be, you know, a carnival ride to heaven. It may not be easy. But God will give you the time and the strength to finish the mission that he's called for you to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these men willing to be faithful to you regardless of the cost. And you use them, Lord, in a, in a powerful way. Use us, O oh God, in the mission that you've given to us for the honor and the praise of your name. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.